Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour is here. Big divisional weekend ahead and a mere formality as we begin hour number two from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. PK, they have, uh, the Titans have officially activated Derrick Henry from injured reserve. We knew this was going to happen, but he's playing tomorrow officially. Yes, and everybody will now be breathless about it as if there was any (laughs) doubt, but... um, there's no way. I mean, there were a whole bunch of benchmarks along the way that indicated this would happen. The most recent that being that he, he spoke on Wednesday. They're not putting anybody at the podium to talk uh, about a game that he's not going to play in. So um, he's, he's back, as everybody expected. Now the question is, how back? And uh, I, I don't know that his carries uh, can be pre-prescribed without seeing how he looks. I, I imagine they could have a, a goal and a hope. But um, I think, you know, his play will tell us how, how much he gets. And I think if he looks good, they'll, they'll keep giving him the ball. We should mention uh, among the activations, 4 o'clock Eastern was the deadline to do it for teams who play on Saturday. So all eyes are also on Green Bay. Green Bay has activated Zadarius Smith and Whitney Merciless off of injured reserve. They're on track to play. So when you activate the player, you have to make a roster move in return because you're bringing them back to the 53-man roster. Doesn't necessarily mean they're active on the 48-man roster for the game, but you wouldn't make a move to cut a player if, in fact, they're not expected to play at the caliber of some of these names like Derrick Henry, like Zadarius Smith, like Whitney Merciless. And again, Whitney Merciless tore his bicep over just... 61, 62 days ago, and he's now been activated to play in the postseason for Green Bay. Uh, incredible. Uh, for the Titans, you know, one element that could have really helped Derrick Henry and everybody, Torrey Carter, the fullback, whose practice window was open this week from IR. He's not been activated. So Kari game continues to work as the only fullback. Uh, he's not as good at the point of attack as Carter is, that would have been a nice addition to have had as well. They don't get him. And the Titans didn't have to make a cut because they had 52. Is that right? Yeah. I, I Their roster was it, at 52 anyway. No cut so they was can, made. So they, they can add him. the player. Um, Chris Jones, the cornerback, has been elevated from the practice squad for this game as well. Greg Maben. And this is also the, the designation. Yeah, you have to designate week. those players as well. Um, the deadline would have been uh, right now at 3 o'clock Central time. The, the, the role players going into this game, and, and let's, let's try to go through each of them and, and give some impact players that are not the, the star quality uh, in all of these game previews you can find literally everywhere right now for the divisional matchups. And again, we'll just go in order. I think the role player needing to step up for both teams, at least for me, is, is fairly obvious. And maybe I'm cheating a bit with Cincinnati's role player, quote-unquote, but let's start with Titans. Uh, the, the, Paul, I'm going with Ferkser here. With A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, 
on the field with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. Anthony Ferkser at tight end, if you look at his numbers, hasn't done all that much this season. They're nowhere close, uh, and not even deserving to be in the same conversation as the guy he was expected to replace in Jonu Smith, who's now in New England. But Ferkser is going to have some opportunities, and he has opened up some things for Tannehill on play action across the middle of the field and in the end zone over the last two, three weeks. Can he continue that nice play where you've got three catches for 31 yards or you know, a, a pair of catches and one of them is a touchdown? That, that, to me, is a key for their offense to really get back to a mode that we were expecting before the season even kicked off. Yeah, it's been more him lately. It doesn't have to be him. It could be Jeff Swain. It could be, uh, um, you know, a Kari Blossom game, or it could be uh, um, Hilliard out of the backfield, who we haven't seen much on third down uh, really so far. The last game, the Houston game, was his first as the official third down back. Um, after they cut Jeremy McNichols. Uh, but they clearly have planned for him to be that guy in that, in that role. Ferkser seems the most likely now because of the way things have built. Um, and he finally has kind of carved out his niche and found his role, particularly down by the red zone um, and, and in the red zone and in the end zone. Um, so uh, some of those guys can release a little bit of the pressure valve off of – um, the primary guys, I'm not that anxious to release the pressure valve off those guys. I want to see Brown and Jones just go win. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to start the game thinking, well, let's well, release some of the pressure off of these guys. I want to see those guys go deal with the pressure. But, but keep in but mind, I understand what, when, what, when I pick these guys out, I'm, I'm saying I'm expecting A.J. Brown to be A.J. Brown. I'm expecting Julio Jones to catch a couple passes on the outside at the sticks that just extend the defense out a little bit, yep. that presents some type of threat to where it opens up a pocket in the middle. And that is what happened in Houston. That's what happened the week prior for Ferkser as well against Miami. I want to see him step up and do some nice things. Yeah, where there's room. Yeah, as things progress with this offense. It starts with the run, and it starts with A.J., and, but we're looking for the, the guy who's good for three to five catches in this game. And to me, it's Ferkser. Uh, I'd you, agree with you that. You could put Westbrook Aquina in that role, too. But I think because he's actually playing in the role I, they envisioned for him going into the year. But I, I'm taking Ferkser on this. And, and for Cincinnati, it may be a, a bit of a, a cheat answer here, but it's Tyler Boyd, who's the undervalued receiver in this group of the trio. Um, because he's going to be matched up with, uh, in, in all likelihood, he's matched up against a rookie. Am I right in thinking he's matched up with, with Molden? And they probably move people around, but I, I think he'll get his fair chance at Molden. And Molden, I don't know where his confidence is right now, but he was terrible in the, two weeks ago in, in Houston when a much younger, much slower Danny Amendola shredded him. And he had four catches for 26 yards last week, but he's fully capable. If I said how many yards does Tyler Boyd have for the Cincinnati Bengals, my – I would have guessed somewhere between four and five hundred yards it's on the like season. Eight hundred. He's got yeah. He's got like eight hundred and fifty yards, and and he's a former thousand yard receiver. So yeah, they're three deep in a, by every measure. For Green Bay, San Francisco, I went with Alan Lazard, and he's your guy. He's that, my guy for the playoffs. I think he might have three good games here and become uh, much more of a household name in NFL circles. And keep in mind, AJ Brown feasted on the San Francisco secondary on Thursday night football. So I'm thinking Devontae Adams is 
Devontae Adams and then some in this matchup. I also think Lazard can have a, a big day on the opposite side. So look for production. He's gained there. a lot of trust and a lot of chemistry with uh, with Mr. Rogers. Uh, five touchdowns over his last five games. Three of those five games, he's had 75 or more yards receiving. So he's one of the go-to players now. I like him in the spot he's in. And then Brandon Ayuk, over the last 11 games for San Francisco, 751 yards in seven games. He is an ascending player with all the attention paid to Kittle and Debo Samuel. Ayuk, former first-round pick, is playing up to that type of level. Uh, Green Bay geared up to stop Samuel and all those touches he's going to receive. Ayuk's going to get plenty of chances in this. Kansas City and Buffalo. Um, well, I take that back. Let me go in order. Uh, Tampa Bay, Los Angeles. It's on defense with Devin White and, and, and Mike Edwards. Stafford, can they make him throw at least one interception and can they bait him into something that ends up being takeoff and go? He has four picks that have been for pick sixes in this. There will be opportunities for Tampa Bay. And then the Rams, their key player is in the backfield with Cam Akers because you don't think of the Rams and think about their run game. Or if you do, you probably think about Sony Michelle. Cam Akers is back, p- performed at a very high rate and high level last week and uh, he brought the punch. I mean, he sent one guy out on a cart because of the, the lick that he laid to Buda Baker. So I, I think he can set the tone for the Rams against the Bucks defense. And if they can run the football, they're winning this game. You're taking the in-game money line if they come out and establish the run. And finally, Paul, Kansas City-Buffalo. Um, I'm looking at receiver here, but I'm looking at Pringle. Um, I'm thinking about all the options for KC and then where Mahomes may also look. I'm looking Pringle's way here. Um, and he has 19 catches, four touchdowns in the last four games, two in the playoff win last week. So for Hill and Kelsey and all their pieces, Pringle's a, a nice addition, a nice role player. He's not going to have this 10-catch, 100-yard game, but he's a big first-down guy and big in the red zone too when they put him in motion. Similar guy on the other side in Gabriel Davis who's yes. got five touchdowns in six games and has been uh, a little bit of a, a spark plug who's added to Buffalo's uh, arsenal and uh, pretty kind of sneaky, uh, sneak up on you. And he's a bigger guy. And, and uh, in the backfield for Kansas City, Jarek McKinnon, who's got fresh legs. He was big a week ago, and I wonder what that does to the Buffalo defense. But the guy, the guy for Buffalo – that I'm watching is Isaiah McKenzie because when, when Cole Beasley went out with COVID, it yeah, opened really... up uh, opportunity for Isaiah McKenzie and he took full advantage of it. And since then he's been one of those role players that has allowed Josh Allen, just another outlet outside of, you know, digs or outside of uh, Dawson Knox at, at tight end or, or Singletary with a catch out of the backfield. McKenzie, he's, He's a point. He, he puts points on the scoreboard, but he does it by extending drives. And he keeps them with the big plays, and that's why they win by 10-plus. They could spread it out to a number of different people, and he's just the, the latest uh, matchup to watch for me. Isaiah McKenzie, role player for Buffalo. They can help them win this game on the road. He's a pretty electric, uh, electric player. I, I'm getting more charged about Buffalo the more we talk about the Bills. Um, there are some I hope, who say I hope we're not fooling ourselves. Well, I mean, there are some who say that Kansas City season really didn't even start until the postseason started. 
Um, and if you buy that, then you're thinking, okay, now's well, when you don't they, know what you're they flip the switch. Yeah. And they've, they've played well. I mean, they've been winning at a rate um, since that slow start in mid-September, early October. They've been playing really well. I mean, they've rattled off, what, 10 of their last 11 games they've won. But some think they're not fully turning it on until the postseason. Not consciously, not like it was their plan. But they've, the analysts have said, we're about to see the Kansas City we all thought we would see when the season started. And I could see the argument about not betting against, uh, not getting a, betting against Mahomes. But, uh, you know, at some point that thing comes to an end. And I'm thinking the same way about the Chiefs that I'm thinking about Tampa Bay. It's really hard for Tampa Bay to go win twice. Really hard for Kansas City to go three times. Um, not that I'm guaranteeing them a win next weekend if they win this weekend. But, you know, good teams break through uh, eventually. And I, I feel like it's what's going to happen for the Bills this weekend. Should mention uh, role player uh, here in Nashville, uh, just tying back in the headline as we start the hour, Derrick Henry activated uh, to the Titans 53-man roster off of injured reserve. They did it right at the deadline going into this game day before. We'll see more activations tomorrow, most likely for the Sunday games. Uh, that being said, a role player can now be Deontay Foreman. who They, they have found a, a true number two back behind Henry that can come in and give you the same punch that, that Henry was capable of behind that offensive line. Now, how they do that, I, I have no clue how you mix and match if, if you want to do that. But, and I think they'll, they'll, they'll go with the king as, as much as uh, Henry's willing to go and can physically go. But Foreman now is a gift that they found when Henry went down that they didn't have on their roster prior. Uh, and he's, and a he's fascinating the unquestioned story. number two. Yeah, unfascinating story because they, uh, I mean, this team hasn't really had a number two before this, didn't really need a number two before this, you know, threw away a third round pick on Darrington Evans. Uh, who got hurt two years in a row. He'll be in camp this coming summer, but we'll really have to do something special to, to, to stick in any way, shape, or form. Odds are he gets hurt again, yeah. and they'll have to settle with him. Um, but Deontay Foreman, you know, one of the teams that gave up on Deontay Foreman was the Tennessee Titans, who had him on the roster for, I think, three games last year. He ran pretty well, uh, giving Derrick Henry a, a – a breather every now and then, and then they decided, no, we're not going to go that direction, and they cut him. And then Atlanta, uh, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator from here, was familiar with him, had him in. Atlanta, by no means a good running team this year, and they had put him on the street. And and the Titans, you know, knew him, and they, they were just grabbing people. They grabbed him, they grabbed Hilliard, they grabbed Adrian Peterson, who was the lead guy for the first two weeks post Derrick Henry, uh, who wound up you know, in Seattle and then done. Those are your big role players for the upcoming divisional weekend. Uh, later, we'll discuss the coaching matchups and the two coaches who seem to be the favorites to win coach of the year across the, the NFL are matched up tomorrow here in Nashville. We will talk with Bobby Carpenter when we return. Outkicks college football contributor and analyst. We'll hit some college football headlines, but he also played in the NFL. He's following this just like everyone. We'll get his take on all four matchups and his biggest keys uh, to each of these games going into Saturday and Sunday kickoffs. Bobby Carpenter next on Outkick 360.
Glad you're with us for Outkick 360s. We broadcast here in Nashville. If you're listening in the Upper Cumberland with Sports Radio 104.7, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Florence, Alabama, or uh, in Huntsville, Fox Sports Shoals, we say hello to you. And Somo Sports Radio, uh, shout out to everyone there in Missouri. Uh, We get you ready for what is going to be a fun NFL weekend. And some college football headlines as well. Bobby Carpenter joins us weekly at this time each and every Friday. Bobby Carpenter from Outkick.com. He's a college football and uh, NFL contributor, at least he is today for us. Bobby, hope you're doing well, man. Trio became a you know a pairing or a duo there for you guys, but you know what? I'm here to pick up the slack. You know, yeah. you started this thing where we got rid of Chad, and it's it's, <laughs> it's taken on some life. So occasionally we just kick him out. Nice, nice. We're we're working uh, to get Bobby to Music City next week, maybe for a special AFC Championship game if the Titans can handle their business uh, championship matchup. We'll, we'll see what happens there. I, let's start with some of the college football headlines. Then I'm going to get your take on the, the NFL matchups. Stetson Bennett is returning to play for Georgia. And I think we would all love to go back to college for one more year, even more so to get paid to do it. And this dude is, is going to strike an NIL deal that may be the highest paid college player on the field next season. Yeah, and, and so you look at this, he's coming back for that, you know, sixth season. I understand why he's doing it. You know, you look at the NFL, NIL situation right now, gentlemen, like if he's coming back, he has the world of opportunity open to him. You know, 10 years ago, Stetson Bennett retires, he rides off into the sunset, goes and probably starts selling insurance or doing something like that, and, you know, makes a, a, a killing that way. I mean, he's got to be the most beloved person in the state of Georgia right now. And so he, his star could not be brighter. You know, and you wonder, like, coming back, do you ruin the Disney storybook ending? And maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but ultimately he's going to be compensated a great deal. So I completely get this. And this is something I think you'll see, guys, you know, when their stars are bright and they have a chance to make a ton of cash, you may see guys stay an extra year in college, even if they have NFL prospects. Understanding Stetson Bennett probably doesn't have that same allure for the NFL, but I wouldn't be surprised that if there are guys – who think they can ink, you know, seven-finger NIL deals. They love playing at the school that they're at. They love college. Why not come back for one more year? Because, you know, as as Wooderson would always say, you keep getting older, but they stay the same age. <laughs> uh, nice tie in there with Texas, uh, where Patterson, Gary Patterson, is now a consultant. Uh, he's not an analyst, but he's he's you know he's, he's giving advice on 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 defensive efforts for the Longhorns. Your thoughts on the behind-the-scenes efforts of, of Patterson now joining that staff in Texas and what it might do for them? Well, you know, you look at it for a long time. Gary Patterson was one of the gold standards in college football on the defensive side of the ball. And what he was able to do at TCU, build a uh, behemoth there, build a program that entered the Big 12, you know, was competing that first year to make the college football playoff. He's done a fantastic job. The dude knows more about defense than most people – Uh, He's forgot more about defense rather than most people even know. And so I think that this is a wise move. If you're Sark, hey, you know what? We got to get that side of the ball cleaned up. And if you're Texas, we can afford it. We'll bring another guy in. And I think Gary Patterson, let's be honest, guys. Like, he gave a lot to TCU. I don't think he was ready to be done. And can you really think of a better way, you know, to kind of needle a little bit? This isn't overtly taking some big job or, you you know, talking bad about your former school, but 
everybody does know, and it's going to garner a lot of headlines, that Gary Patterson is now associated you know, with the University of Texas. And that's a far cry from TCU, who is you know, one of the little brothers in the state. And I think that that probably you know, hurts a little bit, some of the Horn Frog Nation over there. But you know, they've moved, they moved on from him. He still feels like he has something in the tank. And Texas, I mean, they're making big moves here. With you look at the NIL stuff that they've been putting together. Now bringing a guy like Gary Patterson, you know, Sark understands that he's going to have a short leash. They've invested a lot in him in that program, and he needs to get this turned around pretty quickly. I know there's a long way between this and having the roster of guys like this that Nick Saban has. But do you foresee uh, schools with the resources like Texas um, aspiring to to have that? You know, I, I think so. I mean, if you have all of the resources, and there's probably, I don't know, you look maybe eight to 12 schools in the country that have you know seemingly limitless resources. And so if you have that, hey, you're going to try to bring in everybody you can. You're putting together these NIL deals. You're building these unbelievable facilities. And that's why I think at some point, you know, I, I know that, you know, they put the playoff expansion hold and the ACC commissioner, Jim Collins, is probably looking at this saying, hey, our schools, they, they don't want to get into this crazy bidding war with NIL and trying to figure out, you know, ultimately the parameters and constraints around it because you see what Texas is doing. You know, Alabama, they're repealing their NIL law. They're going to tweak that thing to make sure they can do everything Texas can do. You're going to start to see that happen in states all across the country. You know, Georgia's is pretty restrictive. You know, wait and see. I mean, I don't think it'll be too long before there's tweaks or they just don't or they choose not to enforce it. Because they understand, like, this is how big-time college football works now. You have to be able to put this together, bring in these analysts, bring in consultants, put together these packages. All that stuff is what's going to generate winning. And, and Nick Saban said it as a warning shot. If this is the type of college football you want, you'll ultimately get it. I don't truly think that this is ultimately great for the sport long-term. And hopefully they figure out a way to make sure, like, hey, guys can get NIL stuff. You know, you can have, you know, consultants and analysts and all these things. But the reality is, I mean, there's very few teams that can win a national championship already right now. And you may be even constricting that number further. You felt impatient in your piece at OutKick about Jim Harbaugh. Do you think he will stay or go? And is the main thing that you want him to decide? Well, I tried to take a look at this because I've talked to a lot of Michigan fans and there's some people like, Hey, you know what? Like they've been waiting a long time. He finally did everything that you thought he would do in, you know, years one, two or three, it took him to year seven to get done. Uh, but if you look at the totality of it, he's had the team right on the cusp, but they, you know, this was the first year they actually won a championship. You know, this was the first year that they beat Ohio state. And then you get to the play George and you realize like, man, yeah, we beat Ohio State, you know, on that day. But you know what? We're a long way away, I think, from you know beating teams like this. And so I think you know he begins to maybe look at that, and say, should I go? I think there's some fans that are thinking, you know what? If you're going to flirt with the NFL every year, you probably should go anyway. You achieved what you wanted to. You kind of got us back to relevancy. We're in the conversation. We're in the mix. And I know that there's a ton of fans, a, a large portion that would love him to stay and want him to stay there forever. And but I think you're starting to see this dichotomy of. You know, anytime your head coach is going to consistently flirt with the NFL or other jobs, you know, be it college or professionally, like it wears on recruiting, it wears on the alumni, and eventually it's like, you know what, if you want to go, just go. We'll, we'll go try to find, you know, Matt Campbell or someone like that who we think might be here long-term and not always have his eye on the horizon. Bobby Carpenter, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. 
What do you, what do you make of the Rams' potential to upset the Buccaneers on Sunday? I like it, and you know people that have just you know kicked dirt on Matt Stafford, and you know I was talking to Matt Castle about this yesterday, who played with him in Detroit like I did, and anybody who's played with or against Matt Stafford, talked to my good friend AJ Hawk about it, like they're going to sit there and they hold Matt Stafford in extremely high regard because they know how talented he is. They know how good he is. Started the season on fire, struggled a little bit towards the end, but put together one heck of a playoff game against the cards. They're able, if they're able to run the ball, they can against uh, a, a really good Tampa front, by the way. I mean, you look at the guys they have up there, Vita Vea, you know, JPP, like the, the Shaq Barrett, like they've got some studs. They've got some dudes. They've got really two, two really talented linebackers there as well. You know, Levante David looks to be getting healthy. You know, so if they they'll have a good chance of slowing that rushing attack down. If if Los Angeles can run the ball, though, Matt Stafford will have a field day. Cooper Cup really didn't get all that involved even in the last game. And this dude was a first team All Pro, unanimous. They did a great job getting Odell Beckham Jr. involved, and that's what Sean McVay, you know, is great at, at, at trying to build these game plans where you know, Cooper Cup, it's he's fine, be a decoy. That's great. Matt, Matt Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr., they were somehow able to build rapport fairly quickly. And so it's going to be tough to slow down all those weapons. And then the one thing you look at the other side, Tom Brady, like, I don't like ever betting against Tom. I hate it. It's a tight line. He's really good. He finds ways to win games. Dude, the guy's won, you know, more Super Bowls than, you know, and been in more Super Bowls than half the league's even played in, for heaven's sake. Like, it's it's unbelievable if you add them all up. Like, he he's so good and does such a great job in the playoffs. But if you look at times when he's struggling, and this is true for all quarterbacks, but especially true for Tom because he doesn't struggle all that much. If you can get pressure without blitzing, it's really tough to be a good quarterback. And that's the one time you can see Tom, you know, Aaron Rodgers, guys like that get frustrated because if you blitz and bring pressure, there's usually quick answers. And guys that are really good, they find a way to get the ball out and they know who to get it to and they can deliver it with accuracy and timing. But you look who Tom's had trouble with over his career. The Giants were able to get to him a couple times because they could get pressure with four or five guys. You look at who a team that gave him problems last year, the Saints, four or five guys getting after him up front. You know, we'll see how Tristan Wirfs, if he's ultimately healthy and, you know, is going to be able to be functional. You know, obviously that didn't happen last week. I, I'm not fully convinced that he's going to be good enough to be play and effective. But they've got Von Miller and they have Aaron Donald two of the best pass rushers of all time. Like, that's not hyperbole to say that. When their careers are over, we're going to look at these guys. They're both Hall of Fame players. They're two of the best pass rushers of all time. And if they can get pressure on Brady with four, maybe five guys, that's going to throw them off. Leonard Fournette has the hamstring. Like, Tampa's just really beaten up. There's no Godwin. Antonio Brown's gone. You know, it's Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Johnson. Like, it's not this same robust offense that we saw earlier in the year. And so ultimately, with how well the sink, the Rams played last week, I think the Rams pull this upset. They have to activate Fournette back to their roster by 3 p.m. Central, 4 Eastern tomorrow. They've already declared that Ronald Jones is out in the backfield, so it seems as though they're leaning towards Fournette going to play. But again, we'll see. If not, they'll go uh, with uh, some, some backup options, and they've been going that way in, in recent weeks. Uh, good news for San Francisco – Nick Bosa is on their flight to Appleton uh, in, in Wisconsin there as they get set to go to Green Bay to face the Packers. Um, he's cleared concussion protocol. Cold weather. Um, I opened the show discussing the temperatures, and the only weather factor this weekend is in Green Bay 
and San Francisco is headed into it. And Paul and I both experienced uh, the coldest game, at least for me, was uh, a four-degree game uh, two or three years ago now, three or four years ago now, uh, in at Arrowhead. Regular season, late late November, early December. Legitimately, my phone died, full charge, died in the first <laughs> quarter as a sideline reporter there uh, on the Titans sideline. I... I had never been that cold just standing there, and I was bundled up, and I still could not get cold. Does weather play a factor for San Francisco, or are we making too much of a deal about this? Early in the week, I would have said, you know what, it's not that big of a factor. And now as I read more into it, and that it's actually going to have a wind chill below zero, I think that's advantage Green Bay. It really is. And if you look at these four games, you know, L.A. and Tampa, they're warm-weather teams playing in warm weather. Kansas City and Buffalo, they're cold-weather teams. You know, Cincinnati and Nashville, they can kind of mix it up either way. You know, but this is the one game where you have a team coming from, you know, the NFC West. You're playing in San Francisco. Seattle gets a little chilly. You know, playing in Arizona. Those are your division games. So it's not like it's something where they're used to cold weather. You know, Jimmy G, let's also remember, he's got the thumb issue, hand. He's been a full participant in practice. But that still doesn't mean that he's 100% healthy. And anyone will tell you, you know, you think about this when you were that cold. If I took your hand and put it on a desk and hit it with a hammer, you know how bad that thing's going to hurt? That's no different than when a quarterback dings his hand off of a helmet or gets it hit or smashed. When it's cold like that, your body aches. And so I, I think Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's an older dude, and older guys don't like the cold in general, but he's played there his whole career. Green Bay is used to this. They're prepared for it. Their game plan will represent and reflect the weather, and they can practice in it a little bit and understand it. You can work on practicing in the rain. You can use the wet balls and all these things. You can go in a bubble and in an indoor and crank up the heat and work on practicing in the heat, but it's really tough to work on practicing in the cold and in the wind, and it's going to be dark. It's going to be loud in Green Bay, and the biggest difference between this game and you'll look back a couple years at the NFC Championship when San Francisco just undressed them and beat up Aaron Rodgers – is the fact that Green Bay looks finally healthy. Defensively, they're getting guys back, but on their offensive line, David Bakhtiari, you know, he's been limited in practice. He's going to be ready to go. I know they're getting Nick Bosa. Fred Warner's a full participant. But Green Bay's offensive line, huge key for him because you're going to need to be able to run the ball. And that's something, too. They can protect Aaron, but they also have A.J. Dillon, so they give him that relief that he hadn't really had, you know, until last year and this year to be able to pound the football a little bit. The cold weather will make a difference. I, I, Jimmy Garoppolo, I know he's you know, a northern kid, went to eastern Illinois. But, man, going up to Green Bay late in the year, coming from a guy who played the last game of the season uh, with the Detroit Lions up there, man, it is a bone-chilling experience. And I don't know if San Francisco will be quite up to that. So I would say big advantage Green Bay, given the fact that this is going to be a night game cold freezing and uh it's gonna be a rough situation how much is the cold uh, a mental exercise e- even when the, in new york hosting hosting dallas it's not green bay cold but it but it's cold aaron Rodgers said on the manning cast you know hell i'm cold i just kind of put it in my head that I, i'm i'm more used to it than they are they're colder than i am well that's it's a big piece of it like you you tell yourself i've been in it before i live in it I know what it's about. Do I feel good? Heck no. You don't feel nobody enjoys playing in that weather. Even guys that are old school, hardcore dudes, when you start getting below 20 degrees and you throw some wind chill on it, it is brutal. 
And Aaron, like, listen, quarterbacks, they want it to be nice. They want to be able to throw the football. They don't want to have to be dealing with quarter, balls that are rock hard, that are slick from the cold and the leathers. Like, it, it's not moistened. There's no warmth to it. Like, it's it's tough to throw, and it's tough to really catch that football. Like Aaron said, just tell yourself, we, we, we're we used to this. We're experienced in this. We handle it all the time. And that gives you a little bit of that psychological edge that you usually need to get over the top. Bobby Carpenter with us. Bobby, is Josh Allen on Patrick Mahomes' level? I think he's getting there, folks. I mean, you hate to say that because Pat Mahomes can do so many things so well, and I don't know if he'll ever have you know that uncanny ability. Like Pat Mahomes is probably one of the few guys, maybe Aaron Rodgers, to you'll be drifting back twenty yards on one leg and throw the ball across his body forty yards on a rope to where it needs to be. But if you look at what Josh Allen can do, when he came in, he was a big guy with a strong arm who could run it. But, you know, he can still run it. He can still get outside of the pocket. But if you look at some of the passes he makes now when he breaks contain, very, very impressive with his accuracy. But the biggest piece is what he's able to do when he plays inside the pocket and getting through reads and progressions. And he might even do that better than Pat Mahomes a little bit this year. You know, Mahomes is used to playing off schedule and making these big plays. When teams have forced him in the pocket, you see him get a little bit impatient. Josh Allen has done a great job with improving you know, his vision, his accuracy, his patience, his timing, like all of those things that are usually very difficult for pros to improve. Josh Allen has done a fantastic job of it this year. And it honestly, it, you know, you look at the weapons, you got Kelsey, you got Tyree Kill, like they've got elite dudes, but you know, Stephon Diggs is one of the most underrated receivers you're going to find in the NFL. And those guys seem to have this rapport now that's been absolutely tremendous. And so I never thought when Josh Allen came out, like, Top he's probably going to be is maybe, you know, a fringe top 10 quarterback in the NFL. This dude has blown my expectations away. I mean, he's a guy we're going to be talking about. You know, him and Joe Burrow as top, you know, five, six, seven quarterbacks here for the next possible decade. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, uh, of course, with Outkick.com, but also uh, does a radio show in Columbus. Um, and while I'm sure it's a heavy Browns focus uh, NFL-wise, you're definitely talking uh, Bengals this time of year, too. Give us a nugget on the Bengals that fans here in Nashville may not know about Cincinnati. Well, if you haven't been tracking them you know, a lot, I mean, last week after Larry Ogunjobi went out, who was really good, he was a big pickup from the Browns. I mean, they were down three defensive tackles. Now, they're starting to get some guys healthy, you know, and that's going to help um, immensely. But, you know, you get Derrick Henry back and you don't have three, you know, your healthy defensive tackles. And you're talking about a really short rotation that can get tough because regardless of you know, how many carries Henry has, Mike Vrabel's talked about, they're a running football team, regardless who is in there. And so that's, that's a huge piece of it with what they're able to do. Uh, and I think one thing that's underrated, you know, this Cincinnati defense, everyone looks at Joe Burrow and how talented he is with, you know, Jamar chase and, you know, uh, Higgins and Boyd and Joe Mixon you know, all the skill position, all the weapons. The Cincinnati defense is underrated. They've played really well in the secondary. Mike Brown, they went out and spent some money on them. The linebackers have played a lot better this year. And that defense has been coming up and making big plays. And, and you look no further than last week. You know, Joe Burrow played great. The offense did what they needed to do. But it was the defense that had the huge stop against Derek Carr on fourth down and ultimately getting his team the ball back and winning the game. What was that scene like? there when they won the playoff game i'm sure you saw all oh. the news coverage oh goodness it was great i got a lot of friends that you know live down there and there's you know a number of ohio state guys i think they have four ohio state guys on their roster plus you know joe burrow who plus you kind burrow. of give a half yeah. to yeah you give them like a little half and 
I mean, it, it was unbelievable. I don't think you guys understand. Like people, it's it's interesting there because they have great fans and they love the team, but they don't really love the ownership. It's this interesting dichotomy. So people quit showing up because like we're not paying money to Mike Brown who doesn't go out and spend money in free agency, doesn't have great facilities, like doesn't do all the things that you need to do to win. But then all of a sudden, you know, Joe Burrow got there and you saw this city like slowly change. He's got that like calm, cool confidence where you know, they go out and he expects to win every game and to play great. And to see like the city latch on and gravitate to him and to see, you know, the stadium, Paul Brown Stadium packed and how excited everybody was. And you got Zach Taylor doing one of the great things all time, you know, giving game balls to fans, walking around in bars, you know, during the week and getting it done. That's a big deal to be able to connect like that because that's what makes sports great. That's why the NFL had 91 of the top 100 rated shows in television in 2021 was because the fans care. They want to watch. And when you, as an organization and as a coach, can go connect with them, then that is huge. And so it's a wild scene. And I think there's like tepid optimism where you know they look at this and thinking, all right, like Tennessee, it's not, it's it's a it's a pretty good matchup. If you can slow down Derrick Henry, you feel like you have the quarterback advantage, and we'll kind of see where the chips lie. They're a fun team to watch and a hard team to root against when you watch them play and how they they move the football with those big explosive plays with America's and Chase team. And everyone, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> they really well, are. Everybody in the country's rooting for Bobby, them. We think. This, this is really well. It's really tough, guys. You know, for people in Ohio, you know, who love the Bengals, but then they also love Mike Vrabel. And like, so this is like it's torn allegiances here. Like everyone wants to see Braves have success. And then you're battling that on the other side, like looking and saying, my goodness, you know, you've got your your team, all your Buckeyes, Joe Burrow, but then Mike Vrabel, who like everybody loves universally in the state. So up in Ohio, it's going to be tough. There's a lot of people that are unless they're diehard Bengals fans are really torn at the seams of who to root for. Interesting. You can check out Bobby's work, outkick.com, and also on the YouTube page and much more. Follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. Always great work uh, with Outkick, and we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. Thanks. My pleasure, General. Hopefully, I'll be seeing you in person next that, week. That would be awesome. Bobby Carpenter, uh, if the Titans win, we are doing everything in our power to get him here, and maybe we do some special shows a week from now with him in this hour, and then we do maybe a special show Saturday leading into what would be AFC Championship Sunday uh, and NFC Championship Sunday uh, across the the NFL. When we come back, for the Titans to make that happen, they're going to have to win uh, in, in multiple phases. But really, Brable's record coming off a bye week is exceptional. We'll, we'll discuss that, why it's so good, and the matchup of the two coaches who many consider to be the finalists for Coach of the Year in the National Football League. That's next on Outkick 360. Saturday's NFL matchups include the two frontrunners going head-to-head for who many believe one of the two is going to win NFL Coach of the Year. It's either going to be Tennessee's Mike Vrabel or Cincinnati's Zach Taylor. Welcome back to Outkick 360 as the sun shines through bright on 6th and Peabody uh, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. There is an energy here in this building and in the city on the eve of the, the first home playoff game since 2009, right after the 2008 season. I take that back. Uh, a chance to win in the divisional round for the first time since then. They, they of course, lost in a home game uh, this last year uh, to Baltimore in the wildcard round. But nonetheless, Paul, it's a bit different for this franchise to go into a week where, you know, there's an energy in a city and it's their home city with the fan base. Normally, 
we're meeting and greeting Titans fans at bars in Kansas City or uh, in, in Providence. Providence, Rhode Island, as they take on New England or wherever it might be. Now it's different, and it's due in large part to the great coaching staff and the great job that, that Vrabel has done. It, he is excellent coming off bye weeks. The Titans have had two full bye weeks and then a mini bye with a Thursday night game and then the long weekend. All of that in the same time frame where Cincinnati has been playing 10 straight weeks without a break. And I wonder if Rabel's using this to his advantage yet again because if you don't count the season openers, and they count for time off, he's 8-0 in games coming off a of bye week. Yeah, he's 10-2 and in those circumstances. But those teams on opening day have the same amount of rest as you have. So the 8-0 is, is a fair mark. He's terrific at it. This is a little different because he didn't know who the opponent was with any advanced preparation time. but um, It's you know, also the opponent they probably spent the most time on, though, because they didn't know yeah. them since they played them last year. And they were most likely to, to win. You probably would have prepared less for Pittsburgh, uh, you know, knowing the lowest seed was coming here, not thinking they were going to win, et cetera, et cetera. In 2019, Mike Vrabel coached a, uh, a good team um, that was – probably ahead of where it belonged, right? It got hot. They were Cincinnati in 2019, right? I mean, I don't think anybody expected the Titans to go there. I don't know you'd call them young. I'm reflecting back on that roster. You had Brian Arakpo and Derek Morgan. They weren't they weren't young. No, they had um, veteran pieces. They had a lot of veteran pieces. Byard's all pro year. Yeah, but they were unexpected, right? They sure. were the, oh, no doubt. They were a team that got hot. And AJ Brown's rookie season. That streak. that was the thousand yard rookie season for AJ Brown, and and he was he making was the, the big difference of youth. But they they were tired during that three road games during the playoffs. Certainly got them tired. Uh, Cincinnati would be heading on that that path here if they were to win two more or win th- win this weekend. They'd they'd be probably uh, they're tired as it is based on what you're talking about compared to the Titans with the rest. Um, but the thing about Vrabel is, you know, he turned that in. For, that's a surprise run. Last year, expectations were high, and they fell short. This year, they're the favorites. Maybe not in the eyes of the analytics community. We've talked about how they're cast as a bad number one. But the statistics and the standings and the home field and the bye tell you they're, they're the favorite. So this team has taken a step. You know, from a wild card team that went on the road and went on a run to a division champion that fell short to a division champion that won the AFC standings and got this by. They are going up the ladder. Now, last year, we came in the, the day after they lost that game against the, the Ravens and said that was a wasted season. You know, they can't come in this week and, and, have wasted this opportunity it's debatable you know if they were to advance to next week and and lose in some tight fashion if it would be a wasted season it's not debatable if they lose this game if it's another wasted season it it will be and they won't lose I don't think if they lose this game though coaching is very important I don't think they're going to lose because of coaching I don't think they'll lose because of some coaching gaffe. I don't think they'll lose because of some stubborn coaching approach or something like that. They adjust. They'll come in with a good plan. If that plan doesn't work, they'll adjust. 
the one criticism that you have of, of Rabel and his staff generally is the slow starting offense. I, and I don't know about you. I expect a slow starting offense tomorrow. Like if they, if they drive to a field goal on the first drive, that'll be a win. Coming up, we discuss Derrick Henry's return. The King is back. We'll discuss what it means to this Titans offense and can it get off to a hot start against a Bengals offense that has been hot now for several weeks. We'll dissect the matchups a bit later in hour number three, but we discuss the impact of Henry, what it means for the game itself and the atmosphere at Nissan Stadium. That's next on OutKick 360.